Bible this morning, um, you can turn to, to the second chapter of, of Philippians. That's where we're going to be this morning. But we live in a world that seems like it's all about getting ahead. And, and, and there's a lot of jockeying for position, a lot of climbing the ladder of success. And, and quite often with that, it's very little regard to who might or what might get stepped on, pushed aside, or run over. It's a world of, of looking out for self that we are living in. But God's kingdom is not that way. God's kingdom is not that way. And so as we continue our summer journey in Philippians this morning, we're going to be looking at joy in humble service. Joy in humble service. And, and Paul starts out the second chapter with some interesting statements. And actually, it's only even part of a statement in that first verse. But he goes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Paul, even though he has all these if phrases, isn't really leaving this open as a possibility of something that might happen. That it would be an opportunity of what could be experienced in the body of Christ. Rather, these phrases of if are assumed. That this is something that would naturally be flowing in the body of Christ. For those that know Jesus these things would be experienced. So what Paul is really saying here is, since you've experienced encouragement in belonging to Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have fellowship together in the Spirit, since your hearts are tender and compassionate, since you've experienced all these things, know the blessing of them, felt joy in them, Paul then goes on to write, then make my joy complete. If you've experienced all these things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Like-minded. Some versions say same mind or one mind, but they all infer unity. Unity should exist in the body of Christ. But unity of mind does not mean conformity. It doesn't mean that we're all going to think exactly the same at, on every particular thing. We have our perspectives, we have our talents, we have our personalities. Those are all going to be unique as God has created us all uniquely. But being of one mind means that we're going to be rooted in the truth of Christ. The word. That we will be like-minded in regards to Christ and who he is. A desire to work together out of love is going to stem from that. It's going to come from Christ. To have that same goal, that Christ be known and God be glorified. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, instruct us, or they instruct us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. As children of God, to walk in humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Scripture also addresses the opposite of unity. When it reads, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Another version says, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. But when there is like-mindedness, love, and one spirit and purpose, there is unity. If we read ahead in Paul's letter to the fourth chapter, we see that there's a disagreement between two women. And so Paul wants to equip the Philippian church with this teaching on unity. And I think it's a good reminder, not that I, I, I'm saying there's any disunity in, in the body of Christ here in Hill City Assembly of God, but it's a good reminder for us. What do we need to do in order to keep that spirit of unity in our hearts? And so Paul's saying here, because you know Christ, experience these blessings, be united. Make my joy complete through unity and humble service. Humble service is not serving to receive recognition. It's, it's not to serve to be jockeying for position. That's just self-service. Humble service is also not over-serving in order to find worth in our serving for ourselves. Humble service is about obedience to God in how we seek to serve under his direction in order for his will to be accomplished. And so as we maintain unity in, the, in service to him, God's going to receive the glory. Paul goes on to write how to guard against disunity and selfish service. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, Paul isn't saying here to not look out for your own interests. Because he says, don't look out only for your own interests. Obviously, Jesus made sure that he had food to eat. Jesus made sure that he had rest along the way. He looked out for his interest as well. And so he's not saying totally, you know, disregard any, anything that you need in order for the benefit of somebody else. No, what he's saying is don't look out only for your own interest, but also look out for the interests of others. I remember hearing a song the other day. I can't remember where I was waiting and, and, and a song came on the radio station that was there. And, it, and the lyrics went on and on and on and on about how good humanity is. And, and it was all I could do to just sit there and listen to it and not say, really? <laughs> really? Please, can we just admit it? Can we just be honest and, and say humanity 
due to the fall, is selfish? Can, can we just be honest? Can, can we just admit we in and of ourselves are not good? Can, can we just be honest and say selfishness is part of humanity's fallen nature? Now some of you are kind of looking at me and you're maybe a little quizzical, not really sure about that. Let me pose these questions then. Why do we have to teach our children manners? Why do we have to teach our children to share? Why do we have to teach our children to look out for the interests of others? To have regard for others' feelings? If this is part of human nature, it would be natural. We wouldn't have to teach it to them. But it isn't. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't moments when children can be very kind and sweet and compassionate and caring, because they can. I spent time with Hudson and Jack um, this week, and Jack uh, had a couple of french fries left in his little container, and yes, my grandchildren eat french fries. Okay, um, but it's okay. It's okay. My, my kids did too, and I did too. It's, it's going to be okay. But in, in that, um, I, I thought, you know, Hudson was hungry, and he asked Jack if he could eat his fries, and Jack just handed them on over. Of course... An hour later, when they got back in the vehicle, Jack was looking for his fries, but um, that's beside the point. But, but in that, so they have those moments. So I'm not saying, you know, inherently we're, we're evil either. That's not what I'm saying. But it doesn't come natural. We have to be taught humility. It's not part of our human nature. And God's very much aware that, that we can't accomplish humility only on our own. Now, he... He does say in his word that we should humble ourselves before God. We know that. But we need help in order to to understand what that looks like, to understand um, how to do that with the help of his Holy Spirit. Because we are not going to be able to do it if we rely only on our nature and our own desires. God knows that we can't accomplish anything good and lasting apart from him. And as our scripture said this morning, for in him and through him and to him are all things. And so we need his help. Humility does not come naturally. And Christ dealt with these very issues with his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 34, I'm not going to, or 45, I'm not, not going to read through um, this, but I'll just kind of give a, a, an overview of it and, and in just a couple of verses, but but James and John here are, are coming to Jesus. They're approaching him. And, and they asked him to give him what they wanted. And now if we look at the same account in the book of John, we actually, uh, it, it might be that James's John and John's mother actually was the one who was, was wanting um, this desire for her sons. But they had requested of Jesus when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. 
But Jesus overturns that value structure of the world that James and John and seemingly their mom was wanting to position themselves in. The structure that says, me first. I want to sit in the place of importance. I want honor. I want to be seated with the elite. Jesus calls them over and explains. He says, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, my kingdom's different. High position is low position. And the low position of a servant is really high position. If you want to lead, you must serve. The life of following Jesus is to be characterized by humble and loving service. If we look back at at Philippians chapter 2 and pick up with verse 5, Paul goes on to say, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Christ did not just teach on it. He wasn't just telling his disciples, this is what you need to do. No, he lived it out, and he lived it out, of course, in God-sized fashion. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Paul continues in verse 6, referring to Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In these three verses, Paul is describing Christ's attitude, an attitude of selfless humility. I'm going to share a a commentary's explanation to help clarify these three verses. And and the reason I do that is, is while we read God's scripture, we don't always get the fullness of it. And and this isn't even going to be a complete um, understanding of the nature and work of Christ. Um, But I think it gives us a really good breakdown of what it is that Christ did as he humbled himself, as he had that attitude of humility So just eight brief statements on this. The first one is Christ has always existed with God. Christ has always existed. And I know some of this is going to be review, so. The second one is Christ is equal to God because he is God. Now, I find it very interesting. I actually have had to explain that because people sometimes think, okay, well, Christ is God's son, and they miss that, yes, that's true, but Christ is also God. The third statement, through, through, though Christ is God, he became a man in order to fulfill God's plan of salvation for all people. Fourth, Christ 
did not just have the appearance of being a man. He actually became human to identify with our sins. That means he experienced the same emotions, the same you know, elements of, of going out into the weather that we do. He was hungry. He had feelings. All of the things that we experienced, Christ also experienced when he became human. Next is Christ voluntarily laid aside his divine rights and privileges out of love for his Father. So when Christ walked the earth, he was still fully God. He was fully man, but he chose voluntarily to lay aside his divine rights and privileges. Christ died on the cross for our sins, so we wouldn't have to face eternal death. And, and we know that he suffered the most excruciating, humiliating death in crucifixion. Seven, God glorified Christ because of his obedience. And lastly, God raised Christ to his original position at the Father's right hand, where he will reign forever as our Lord and Judge. A brief eight-statement explanation of the nature and work of Christ, demonstrating how great Christ's attitude of humility is, for how exalted he was to then humble himself, to come to earth, to take on the likeness of man, and suffer as he did. In our passage for today, Paul's saying, if we've experienced salvation, salvation through Christ, we have that relationship with him, have experienced the benefits of knowing him, our attitude should be the same as Christ. An attitude of a humble servant. As I had mentioned earlier, we can't do this by ourselves. We have our part. God also has his, and thankfully as believers, we're new in Christ. Our spirits are born again, our, new na- or our nature becomes new. But because of our old nature, that humble servant attitude does not come automatically. It's a process of renewing our minds so that we may be able to prove what the will of God is, what the right attitude is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit's help so that we can think of ourselves with sober judgment, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that we would know who we really are when we look at ourselves in light of God. Stephen Blandino from Influence Magazine um, observed that humility begins by dethroning our addition to self and recognizing our true humanity. Without humility, we live a false sense that we are at the center of the universe. Think about two-year-old, teenager, adults. (laughs) Let's face it, all of us from time to time lose sight of of being um, a person of humility and begin to think that, yes, the world does 
must certainly revolve around me. The quote from from Stephen Blandino continues with, Humility is a daily struggle. The world continually tells us to build our platform, promote ourselves, and get ahead at any cost. But pride is not the path God calls us to travel, he says. We're called to walk the path of a humble servant. That's what we're called to. Now, of course, walking the path back in Jesus' day, they would have had their, their sandals on, and, and, and I saw um, Shirley's sandals this morning, and hers are strapped on instead of tied on, but very similar to, to probably what they wore back in that day as they laced them up. And, and of course, the, the roads in the, the Middle East are dusty most of the time, and so their feet would get dirty. And so, of course, it was, it was custom for them when they would enter a house, we take our shoes off, sometimes. <laughs> but their custom would be that when they'd walk into a house, that the servant would wash their feet, so their feet would be clean in the house. Now, <clears throat> quite frankly, my feet are not all that pretty, okay? They just, they aren't, and that's okay. Um, and so I probably would have had a similar reaction to Peter when it came to his feet. Maybe you remember the story. Just before the Last Supper, Christ got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And After that, he poured water into a basin, probably similar to what's up here this morning. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then he came to Peter. Now, it it can be easy for us to think, well, it would be hard to uh, probably wash Peter's feet because quite often where were Peter's feet? In, in his mouth because of some of the things that he would say. And I, mean, I think we can relate to Peter because we've all been there where we've said things and all of a sudden we feel like, you know, that... Anyway, so, so in that, Peter, though, didn't want Christ washing his feet. In fact, he rejected the idea of it. But Christ patiently explained what he was doing. And he continued to wash his disciples' feet, even the feet of the one whom would betray him. And so we we finished washing the feet, and he returned to the table, and he said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Now, some have taken that very literal, and they actually, to this day, have foot washing ceremonies and and all of that. Um, We're not starting that today, just saying. Um, but but it, what it is, is it's 
Christ modeling this example of a menial task, of being okay to humble ourselves and do just little tasks, dirty tasks, things that people wouldn't necessarily want to do. And so Christ not only taught on humility, he lived it. He was an example for us. To be willing to serve one another, thinking of others more highly than ourselves, to enjoy humble service, to have joy in it. If we think about this and being put into practice, as broadly as it could, all believers humbly serving with joy, imagine what our homes would be like. Imagine what our schools could be like. Even our churches and our communities. If we would all put into practice the example that Christ gives us here. If we would apply that in humble service. Because not only are we serving the person that we're doing a task for, we're also serving Christ. We're also serving Christ as we humbly serve. We can't expect the world who does not know him to understand, let alone live like we are called to live. They don't have the same spirit as we do. We're called to be united in humble service as the body of Christ. Peter wrote, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We're called to clothe ourselves with the attitude of Christ. So how do you model Christ in humility? How And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. What that looks like. The selfless acts that we're called to do. It's all going to look different. But how can you have that attitude of Christ in your family? How can you take that into your home? How can you apply that in your workplace? How can you humbly serve in the church and in the community? It's going to look different for every one of us as far as the actual tasks. But it should still be with the same attitude. Think how different our world would look if all God's people would clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Thinking more highly of the next person than we think of ourselves. Looking out for their interests as we look out for ours. Before I close with three last verses from Paul's letter this morning, I, I want to play a, a song. It's, it's written by Michael Card. Um, he's a wonderful songwriter and includes a lot of scripture in his music. If you ever get a chance, um, Google him and, and pull up some of his songs. But the song that we're going to play this morning, it's, the setting is in the upper room that we just talked about, where, where Christ has come in and, 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 and is seated at the table and then humbly rises and and, and washes his disciples' feet. And 
I just want to read a, a few lines because we're not going to have the, the lyrics up on the screen for this, but I want to read a few lines to, to help you to grasp um, this song, and, and then I want to give you a couple of things to, to think about um, as we, we listen to it. But here's some lyrics from it. It says, In an upper room, upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. And a parable is, is a teaching, a teaching with a spiritual aspect to it. And so what he's saying is, this teaching that Christ has been giving is about to come alive in the upper room. And then it goes on to say, and, and while they bicker about who's best, with a painful glance, he'll silently rise. Their Savior's servant must show them how, through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel. And then the song fast forwards, we could say 2,000 years later, in our time. And it goes on to say, in an ordinary place, on an ordinary day, the parable can live again when one will kneel and one will yield. Our Savior's servant must show us how through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel. In humility to take the vow that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel. And so as we listen to this song, may we all think about some of these questions. Is there any selfishness or, or empty conceit in my life? Am I looking out for the interest of others as I look out for my own? Do I have the attitude of Christ? What does it look like for me to take up the basin and the towel day after day? And so as we play this song this morning, I just encourage all of us to take some time and reflect. Is there something, Lord, we make it a prayer. Is there something, Lord, in my life that needs to change? Or is there somewhere that you want me to be serving with your attitude that I'm not doing right now? And so let's take a moment and, and just reflect. Upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. While they bicker about who's best, with a painful glance, he'll silently rise. Their savior servant will show them how by the will of the water and the tenderness. Oh, oh, oh. 
Paul goes on to write in the second chapter, verses 9 through 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. How can we not allow him, invite him, cooperate with him, to humble ourselves and serve him with the same kind of attitude that he has for all that he has done for us. How can we not seek to serve? And, and I love the, the one part of, of that song that we listen to in regards to that it's done in community. We can't serve unless we're in community because we'd only be serving ourselves. It's done in community. So on that glorious day when we kneel before Christ, I want all of us to hear, well done, good and faithful servant as we served with hearts of gratitude, as we served with hearts with a humble attitude, and we did everything that he had asked us to do with all humility so that he received and receives the glory for how we live and how we serve him. We could never match the depth of Christ's humility nor his servanthood. We we can't. 
But as followers of Jesus, we can take on his attitude, that humble attitude, and then serve. Serve with that attitude and do it with joy.